everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week, and I mean, it was great to have two weeks of racing again. And we have another one next week. But this week, with uh, Sky making a big deal about the first ever Styrian Grand Prix, would be good. Well, it was it the was, exact same track we saw last week. It, it was just Austria Part 2. They didn't even come up with different trophies. I mean, at least if, if you want to make it a big deal of the first ever Styrian Grand Prix, then we should have had different trophies than last week. But it was the same trophies. They didn't even have special hats. Not that I saw. We, you know, normally we get special hats for the first race at a place. <laughs> um, I didn't see special hats. Well, you know where we might get special hats. I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. But we might get special hats for the first ever Grand Prix of Tuscany. What would that be? Like wine bottles or olive <laughs> olive tree hats? <laughs> well, considering who owns the track, Ferrari hats. Okay, that would be wrong. Since <laughs> especially the way Ferrari is performing thus far in yeah, two of that. two races, I'm thinking that might be the only way they're going to get hats on the podium. But we we are now at a confirmed 10 races on the season. We're, as of last week, we were at 8. This week, it was confirmed that the Grand Prix of Tuscany, which will be held at Mugello. Emily's still going, guys, yeah. guys. Please. Um, will be held at Mugello on September 13th which puts it uh, the week after Italy. Okay. Or, excuse me, after Monza. So the Italian Grand Prix. Okay. You can't call it the same. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then the Russian Grand Prix will retain its original September 27th date. Hmm. So we've got two more races. We're up to a 10-race season. Uh, it does sound like... Um, Really, the question at this point is what happens with the Americas. Mm. There had been hope um, at the very least to be able to hold a race in Montreal. Montreal was willing to. Um, but now that they're, you're talking October, that's considered outside of the optimal uh, weather window well, for Montreal. I would assume so. I mean, it's possible to get snow in Montreal in yeah. October. So, yeah, by the time you're looking at October, we need to be in the southern part of the states, Mexico. Yeah, and yeah. it is extremely unlikely, I think, at this point that either Mexico or Texas is going to get approval. I mean, it's possible. I wouldn't expect it. And I don't see any, I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that we're going to have Brazil this year. I can't Just imagine. not happening. Now, there is still the plan to wrap up with Bahrain and Abu Dhabi as a back-to-back. Um, there is rumblings that uh, China may be on the verge of going back on the calendar and being confirmed, as well as Vietnam. Really? Which it looked like Vietnam was going to be off, um, especially considering, well, that's partially a street track. Mm-hmm. So it was looking like that was going to be called off, but it sounds like now there's a possibility that could happen if the virus numbers stay low. That'd be interesting. 
one of the other things that has been a topic of discussion as of late, so we have a little more insight, thanks to the folks over at the BBC, as to why there is the big push for the uh, 16 race season, the very least 15 races. Okay. It all has to do with the revenues. And approximately 38% of Formula One's revenues comes from the TV contracts. Oh, okay. If you have, and I don't remember if it's 15 or 16 races, that is paid out in full to Formula One, those fees. If it is less than that, it's prorated. Oh. So the last thing they want to do is get to 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they want to get as many races as they can. But the other thing that, that kind of flies around here is that some of these tracks, Formula One is paying to be there, which is not how it normally works. Oh, wow. Some of them, it sounds like, like Hanoi, apparently is still going to pay their fee for Formula One to come there. But it sounds like for, at the very least... The second race in Silverstone, if not both of the races in Silverstone, possibly for Austria, Mugello, and some of these others, Formula One is paying the tracks to host the event and not the other way around. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're doing everything they can to save the sport. I mean... They are. So one of the the tracks that I'm guessing... Formula One is not paying to be present at is going to be Sochi. And the reason I say that is because they say that they are actually working on plans for fans to attend the race and ticket sales have reopened. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to go, (laughs) but yeah. Well, not like our U.S. passport would get us there right now. (laughs) Well, there's that too. But uh, ticket sales are open, and the Russian Federation believes that uh, they can host an incredible festival for the widest audience possible. Eventful days in Russia's resort capital await all the Sochi Ododrome guests. Eventful days. I hope it's eventful if you get stuck there for 14 days of quarantine. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I am excited. Two more races on the on the calendar. It means that we're not a quarter of the way through the season just yeah. yet. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you're somebody like Ferrari, they're like, okay, we're not totally screwed. But even still, I mean. And the double DNF uh, today was not a pleasant experience. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. So the other news, and to some extent, I, I really, I can't believe this. Well, you've been saying, oh, We've been laughing and joking about whether or not Fernando was going to go to Renault. And you're like, no, Renault wouldn't do that. No, they wouldn't. They did. They not only are bringing back Fernando Alonso for 2021, they signed him to a two-year deal. He said he wanted to come back in a top team. And and that's the thing. (laughs) That's what I don't understand. You know, much like Sebastian Vettel is saying that, you know, he wanted a top-tier team and, and he's he would only consider a, a top-tier team. That's what Fernando Alonso said. He would only come back to a top-tier team, which 
All right, so we knew that there was no way that Mercedes was taking them. There was absolutely no way in hell that Red Bull was going to take them. He'd be crazy to go back to Ferrari, and I couldn't imagine that Ferrari would have even wanted him. What is his top, his definition of a top tier team at this point? Not Williams. I, I don't get it. I mean, for for Renault, there is potentially some benefit here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is an experienced driver. I mean, he he has a well deserved reputation for flattering underperforming cars. He does. He, he he will put them further up on the grid than such cars have a right to be. Yes. I mean, I, I will give him credit for that. But he's also left a bit of a trail of destruction behind him. No. Fernando? And, you know, to be clear, I'm, I'm not talking crashes and wrecks. And stuff he has like had that. some spectacular crashes, though. <clears throat> He has. I mean, Barrel Royals in Australia, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, he's not exactly known as a team player. But Fernando has always been a team player. I mean, when the McLaren wasn't performing, he helped out the camera crew. I mean, he's that kind <laughs> of a team player. Um, well, you know, his, his second time around, he didn't call Ron Dennis names. It, it does sound like... His second time at McLaren, he managed to maintain a cordial and friendly relationship with Ron Dennis, unlike the first time he was at McLaren. Unfortunately, Ron Dennis got fired Yeah, his second time there. But, hey. Well, a- according to Cyril Pitbull, he believes that Fernando Alonso, in his time off, this is he, he's had time to reflect, and he's now a new and better Fernando Alonso who has shaken off the toxic baggage from his last spell in the series. Did he get therapy? Let, let, let's, let's remind everybody how great a team builder that Fernando Alonso is. So he's at McLaren for the first time. And here comes Lewis Hamilton. A young upstart. Young upstart. And bitter, 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 bitter rivalry between the two of them. Yeah. And, okay, so yes, that that was the year of Dumpstergate. And and that part was not Fernando's fault. But the rivalry between the two garages, where they were literally not on speaking terms on either side of that team yeah that was uh fernando played a key role in the breakdown of the sides of the garage working together so he goes to ferrari where he's the number one driver he was the number one driver that that he definitely was and and unlike at mclaren he got along extremely well with the driver he was partnering with Felipe Massa and him, they were a very good team, you know, even with the Fernando is faster than you. Um, The team did Massa wrong a lot. They did, but Massa has nothing but nice things to say about Fernando and their partnership. And Fernando always spoke very well of Felipe. They got along well. Felipe was one heck of a nice guy. 
Fernando and the rest of the team, not so friendly. <laughs> Especially the last two years as Ferrari delivered him crap cars. Yeah. I, I think about 2012 was a, about the limit for him. He had nothing nice to say about them. Yeah. So in classic Fernando move, because Fernando has made excellent career decisions all through his career, he packed up his toys from Ferrari and went home to McLaren. Back to McLaren. And the Hondas. Yes. Which again, started off all nice and happy and friendly. And then there was the GP2 engine comment. At the home Grand Prix for Honda. Yeah. That Fernando burned the bridges with Honda so bad mm-hmm. that even when he went to go look at another series that used engines from a completely different part of Honda, Honda's like, yeah, we're not giving him crap. <laughs> yeah. You not getting a Chevy, a, a Honda engine. No. Chevy for you. <laughs> yeah. You get a Chevy. Um, yeah. That's probably not Fernando's finest hour. He, um, and, and team building was not what he was doing. But bridge burning. He's an excellent bridge burner. Toxic baggage. But obviously he won't bring that to Renault. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, Renault is going to work really, really hard to give him a fantastic car. And since Renault won't have a customer team at all, he, you know, there won't be another engine that could, you know, another team with their engine that could outperform him. I I think the real reason for this, the real reason for this decision, and and even to some extent, um, Cyril Abitbull admits where it came from. This is Flavio Briatore's doing. So it's Flavio, huh? So Flavio, well, let's remember a couple of things. One, Flavio manages... Uh, Fernando and has for years. Okay. Flavio is apparently the only team boss that Fernando has worked with that it did not end in tears. <laughs> okay. Flavio apparently has this great relationship with Fernando and knows how to properly handle Fernando. Okay. Now, I don't know how that works when things are going down in flames, but okay. Um, but also. According to Cyril Abitbull, he says that, well, he knows Flavio pretty well. He grew up with Flavio. Yeah, I was unaware of this. He says he's seen some of the things that that Flavio was doing with Fernando, and he keeps an eye on and has some dialogue with Flavio. He's around. He's been amongst many people, and I'm not going to mention him, but he's been part of today's announcement. I take inspiration in what I'll have to do next year in a way that I will handle Fernando. But for me, again, the new Fernando... Fresh from his one year off from F1, I think will be a better Fernando. I will make sure to be extremely transparent with him because he's a smart person. He understands and knows a lot about F1. So the one thing that I would never do is lie to him or overpromise and underdeliver. So managing his expectations, his own expectation, will be probably the starting point of a strong and fruitful relationship. So I'm assuming, based on that, it's going to be Fernando. Just assume right now, we're not going to give you a race-winning car. 
Yeah. Just assume right now you're going to be in the mid-pack. Yeah. Deal with it. Why don't you, like, spend the next few months making acceptance and peace with that fact, and then anytime you get above the mid-pack? Yeah. Because you are, I mean, the truth is they need somebody that can overdrive their car. They can drive it above its ability. They do need that. And Fernando, as much as I dislike him, and I've never made bones about that. True. Fernando's actually good at that. He's also really good at not bringing it at qualifying and slipping up through the pack. And next thing you know, he's he's pushing three or four po- uh, places ahead of where you think he should be. So there's, they don't have to give him a great car, but a decent car, a reliable car... They need to give him a better car than they're producing now. And, you know, I got to say, especially after what we've seen the last two weeks, actually, and even if you look at last year, the Renault engine isn't half bad. It's not great, but it's not half bad. But let's also remember that the customer team, and this is something that's got to be driving Ron Dennis nuts, the customer team is consistently beating the works team with the Renault engine. Exactly. That is really a problem. I mean, the customer team managed to get a podium with a Renault engine before the works team. Okay, but in their defense, like half the slate of drivers dropped out of the race. They did. But the last two races, it was a Renault engine that nailed the fastest lap. Okay, that's a, that is true. That is definitely so true. So let's go back to first race of the season. It was the customer team that got not only a podium, but also fastest lap. True. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I want to, but I can't argue with that. So how about this? Okay. We wish Renault and Alonzo great luck in their new partnership. They're both going to need it. And we will appreciate the drama that it's going to create. You know, that's true. <laughs> with, you know, one of the things that is lacking with the COVID world is we're lacking some of the drama. We get other kinds of drama, but we're lacking some of the more routine drama because we've been missing races for so long. You know, we got to pack in extra drama so they could bring, they could help us with the fun of the stories of the Formula One. So, word is that Alonzo is hungry to get back and that he has already sent text messages to Esteban Ocon about his 2021 plans. I'm sure Ocon really appreciates that. Well, you know, Esteban, because. It's the kind of person that Esteban is. It's like, I'm really excited. I can't wait. He's one of my idols. And, you know, he, he's giving all of that. You know, it, it'll be a great partnership, all of that. I'm fairly certain that it's something like the bigger office in the, the motorhome. That's mine. <laughs> you may have been in this team a year longer than me. I get the bigger office. I have dibs on the hospitality. And... By the way, when we get back from a race, 
you always have to get, let me get in front of you in line at the buffet. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case. And don't be surprised, Esteban, if I declare that I'm the number one driver. I, I think it's much more of the I am faster than you. <laughs> I don't know if he endorsed that. I don't care. I'm just going to okay. attribute it to him anyway. So... The other news about Ren- around Renault this weekend is that Renault, and, and, and we knew somebody was going to do it. We just didn't know who it was going to be. Um, I was kind of thinking that maybe McLaren was going to do it, but actually it was Renault has filed the first protest over the Racing Point cars. Um, the way this had to work, and, and, and I still don't fully understand this, because if this is... If the cars are found to be illegal, it doesn't sound like it impacts race results. So I don't know how exactly this works. But Renault was the first one to file a protest. And despite what everybody thought, this isn't a matter of, well, it's the whole car. They just copied 2019 and we're, we're, we're throwing a pro. That's not what the protest is about. What's the protest? The protest is specifically about the design of the brake ducts, the front and rear brake ducts on the Racing Point cars. And as a result of this, this protest, so the way this works is the, the protest gets filed with um, the stewards at the Styrian Grand Prix because it was done this weekend. They determine as to whether or not it is a valid protest and then send it to, because of the nature of this, send it to the FIA for actual investigation and evaluation of the situation. So it was on the design of the brake ducts and the allegation that um, either these are perfect copies, illegal copies of the Mercedes 2019 brake ducts, or they came from Mercedes, from mm-hmm. Detroit. And they're not allowed to do that, apparently, according to Renault and, and their protest. So as a result of this, and, and as a result of the stewards at the Styrian Grand Prix saying that this protest was legitimate, the brake ducts from both Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll's cars, the front and rear brake ducts, have been seized by the FIA, and the FIA has submitted a request to Mercedes for the 2019 brake ducts. Interesting. Yeah. Now, Martin Brundle on today's uh, race mm-hmm. made a comment, and I don't know how it fits in because <clears throat> I heard the comment accepted it for fact and moved on with my life um he made a comment that there had been some sort of uh filing and i don't know if he said filing or ruling but apparently all of the design documents that racing point has created like they Mm -hmm. had to go back and show how they came up with it yes it's based on the mercedes but here look at all these photos that we've taken of the car and the meticulous copying of the photos um, by their design team to show like all the evolution of design and all of this, that, and the other stuff. That sparked, I mean, when he said that, I was like, wow, you know, talk about having to make sure that you maintain the record. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the pencil drawings and all the stuff that says, yeah, we based it on that. I mean, why not? This was a winning car. They have a metric ton of photos of it. Why not have a forensic engineer i mean what would you call that job to take a photo and go and reverse engineer how that would work 
That well, sounds like know, forensic engineering to me. It, it, it does, and, and, and I'm not sure that's the, the exact, but it's basically, it's this idea of, okay, we know that those designs were successful. Let's take pictures and try and reverse, that's what you're thinking, reverse engineer that as close as we can and build that design. And what I think they managed to do as part of that investigation is they looked at Racing Point's designs and Racing Point's, the, the measurements and and how everything looked. And then they went to Mercedes and they compared them and it was, okay, this is a fraction off here, that's a fraction off there. And it's it wasn't a one-for-one one copy. And that's probably how they got around it. Now, in this case, because these are brake ducts, this is where it, I could see leveling the protest, but I could see where this would be a fairly open and shut case. They're either exactly the same or they're not. Mm -hmm. But the where I'm uh, the only concern I really have is on this idea of they um the protest reads something about that they're accusing Racing Point of either copying the Mercedes design or actually out and out buying it from the Mercedes. Well, I have I have the statement okay. from the stewards with regards to front and rear brake ducts used on cars 11 and 18. The stewards summoned and heard from the tech, from the team representatives of both teams and a representative from the FIA technical department. The stewards determined that the protest met all requirements specified in Article 13 of the International Sporting Code and is therefore admissible. The FIA technical department representative was directed to seal and impound the relevant parts of cars 11 and 18 in preparation for conducting a detailed analysis of those pieces. The representative is further directed to provide a detailed report to the stewards with the findings and to include an assessment that matches those findings against the alleged infringements outlined in the protest. The representative is authorized in the name of the stewards to call upon such outside technical assistance, including representatives of the following teams. Renault DP World F1 Team, BWT Racing Point F1 Team, Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 Team in the conduct of their assessment. Furthermore, the stewards ordered the Mercedes-AMG Patronus F1 team to provide the front and rear brake ducts of the Mercedes-AMG F1 W10 EQ Power Plus used by the Mercedes-AMG Patronus F1 team in the 2019 season to the FIA Technical Department for examination. Okay. When the likely submission date of the assessment can be determined, the FIA technical department representative will communicate that to the chairman of the stewards so that the next meeting to assess the claims can be scheduled. Okay. And by the way, Mercedes really needs to, I mean, they're, they're a bit over the top with it being a bit much. <laughs> really over the top. So there continue to be rumors about Sebastian Vettel and racing. No, because there are going to be rumors about every possible open seat until Vettel finally announces that he's going to just retire. Yeah, which I think is probably coming. So Otmar Safnauer has, has come out and said that, um, first of all, it was the reminder that Sergio Perez has a, two years left on his contract. Okay. So he's not going anywhere. They're not abandoning and everybody else is reminding the press and anybody speculating that the other driver at Racing Point is the boss's son. <laughs> He's not going anywhere either. They're not going to fire the boss's son to bring in Sebastian Vettel. Now, 
Lawrence Stroll is not a stupid man. Okay, he raised he's, Lance, he, but stop for a second. No, he he's not a stupid man. He's got, you know, eight dump trucks full of money. I, you know, I'll give him that. Okay, <clears throat> but walk down this concept for me for a second. Mm-hmm. Lawrence is not a stupid man. Mm-hmm. He really does want this Formula One team to perform and do well. Mm-hmm. Even accepting the fact that it's solidly a mid-pack team, and that's that's okay for him. He just wants it to perform and do well. Mm-hmm. If he had the opportunity, like if it was a realistic opportunity, to say you could get a four-time world champion to drive for you, and you don't really have to like demote your kid, but he needs to become the test and development driver or the reserve driver for a year. You're going to take a, a year for Vettel to come in and really like Make it better. Don't you think that Lawrence would turn around and go, yeah, Lance, we're going to just bench you for a year. We're going to do this for a short-term thing. You got, you so, had your time. So, you made your podium. So let me put it this way. I'm crazy. No. Okay. So you have Sergio Perez, who is doing a decent job, and he is – Brings some great expertise. He's well-respected. But the other thing that he brings is a couple of dump trucks full of money. Carlos Slim money. Mm-hmm. You have Lance, who is not only the boss's son, but he brings some money as well. The JCD sponsorship, and I think there's one or two other Canadian companies that they brought to Williams and, and left Williams and moved over to racing point as part of that whole deal okay you have the fact that you've got the name change to aston martin coming for next year and the fact that it's known that yes there's a big cash infusion that has come from lawrence and that aston martin needs a significant amount of money and the team has needed a significant amount of money so then you have sebastian vettel who potentially could cost you your Canadian sponsors. Mm-hmm. And not only does he not bring money. He costs money. He costs a lot of money. I don't see it happening. Oh, I... Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I get your point, but... It, it's uh, not... It, from the standpoint of the money side, I get it. I'm just saying the argument that Lawrence wouldn't roll on his son if he had the opportunity to get a four-time world champion. But it would have to be true altruism altruism from Vettel right. to come there, and that isn't in Vettel's he, DNA. He, he would have to, well... He'd have there, to donate that, his time. And, and Lawrence would have to believe that the talent that, would, that Seb would bring would be suitable enough to offset the loss in revenues from the various sponsors because they'd get it back in prize money. And that's one of the other things that you get, you know, you got to keep in mind when you think of somebody like um, Fernando Alonso is that even when Fernando Alonso comes to these teams, and yes, he does get paid, but he's also bringing sponsorship dollars with him. Mm-hmm. He's got, I mean, up until a, a couple of years ago, Santander was his sponsor. Right. And that was why they were on the Ferraris, and I think they moved over to. Um, actually, no, Jensen Button had him also. That's why there was the Jensen Button commercial. Yes. Um, 
but but Santander had Fernando. They they dropped Fernando, and he got Kimoa, and I'm not even sure who they are. Oh yeah, I've seen that on like his hats. Yes, they're his sponsor. They're now showing up on. They're going to be on his McLaren that he's going to drive at the Indy 500. Mm. They've showed up on the Indy 500 before, and they've showed up on the McLarens before. They're coming to Renault. Interesting. He does bring some money with him as much as, yes, there's a salary there. And I think some of it is that his sponsor pays some of that salary. Yeah. Um, but he brings money that Sebastian Vettel does not. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't see, I don't even think Seb's ego would let him go to Racing Point. So there's that. So the other leading team that he has, that Sebastian Vettel has a history with as we all know, is Red Bull, where he won his four world titles. And uh, the, the finger was monumental, memorialized, written into history. The donuts. Mm-hmm. That was another big one. Um, what about Red Bull? Christian Horner has said it is a definite no. Hard pass. Quote, definite no. <laughs> this is not me editorializing. That's the quote. It's a definite no. All right, so that door got slammed hard shut. Yeah. So in in terms of top teams, there is no options. Mm -mm. Because, okay, so your next potential possibility might kind of sort of almost be McLaren, but I can't see McLaren even considering letting Lando go. Mm -mm. Not, Not with his last two weekends. Um and they've signed Daniel Ricardo. Right. So, okay. All right. He's so not, not... going to go to Alpha Tori because that's the young driver team. So that that's off the table. Um, so now we've got Alpha Romeo and we've got Williams. Okay. So Kimmy's going to have to leave Alpha Romeo. And I think Kimmy's just decided that he's going to drive until somebody ages him out. K- Kimmy will drive until he's fired. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he could either replace Kimmy at Alfa Romeo or he's going to need to take a significant pay cut to go to Williams. Well, he'd have to go and for free. And, I mean, Williams can't afford to pay him, period. W- Williams so he'd have to live. Him unless he brings money. You have to bring money greater mm-hmm. than his salary. And, and for those who are going, well, you know, what about when they brought Felipe Massa in? And my understanding is that Felipe Massa came with, he didn't come with a lot, but he came with some money. Mm-hmm. And then they offset Felipe with Lance Stroll's, with Lawrence Stroll's money. Right. It's, it's, the money side of that is complicated because the sponsors have a piece of it. And in my mind, you kind of have to think about it. The sponsors are what's paying the driver's salary. So some piece of the sponsorship goes to pay the driver and then some of it comes to the team mm-hmm. or the, or in some cases the sponsor completely pays for the driver and the team, like that's just not an expense they have to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, that's all complicated. But so, so yeah, his his uh, options are limited. Maybe he'll go to IndyCar. Maybe I, you know, I don't see it happening. 
No, I think I, he's just going to cool. hard retire. I think he's going to yeah, retire. I, I think he will. I think it would be cool if he came to IndyCar. That would be way cool. But I don't see it happening. So, since we mentioned Williams, mm-hmm. there's a story that popped up last week, or, or last month, rather, claiming that Toto Wolf had repurchased shares in Williams after the team began their push to find fresh investment to secure their future. Oh. So, just as a little reminder of Toto, because Toto's got a long history with Williams. Some of it happens to be tied up with, with Susie Wolf and, and her time there. Um, yes, Toto may have been involved in Williams selecting her as a test and development driver before they were dating. But that's... Or in the early part of their dating. Something along those lines. So Toto actually became a minority shareholder in the team back in 2009 and then became the team's executive director in 2012 when he owned 15% of the team. Now, left the team in January 2013 to become Mercedes head of motorsport and a shareholder in their F1 operation. That move required him to divest his shares in Williams. So it was announced in March 2016 that Toto had sold his remaining shares in Williams to Brad Hollinger, who's an American businessman. However, according to Claire Williams, what actually happened and where these reports came from was that the sale of the final 5% of those shares was not completed. Um, She says that um, even though Brad is a minority shareholder at Williams and a non-executive director, he bought the majority of the shares from Toto but did not complete that transaction on the remaining 5%. So that 5% of shares, because that transaction didn't complete, got transferred back to Toto because mm. they were his shares originally. Right. That's what happened. Okay. So this was not Toto buying back into the team. Um, there's also been rumbling, and actually, I think it, it actually did happen, that, uh, to- yeah, he did. He purchased a minority stake in Aston Martin after uh, Lawrence took over. Interesting. Which sparked some rumors that maybe he was going to head in that direction and he has denied that um there's also been some rumors flying that he's not getting along with the new chairman at daimler uh to which both sides say no that's not true (laughs) i don't know but the the rumor that that he is reinvesting in williams is not accurate this is just shares that he owned that the sale did not fully complete now just to remind everybody Toto's background is actually finance. Yes. So investing and this, that is, that's actually his world. Mm -hmm. It's not motorsport. Well. (laughs) It is, but it's not. He he does have a background in motorsport and and I think he had a very, 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 very brief career as a driver with next to no success. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't think any, but. Yeah. But yes, his his background is finance, and so it doesn't surprise me that he's buying, you know, shares of this or shares of that, and investing in different places. But that's how he's made and kept his money. Now, in terms of the overall financial health of the Williams organization and where things stand, um, Claire says that they're speaking to um, several quote serious investors and serious people who are looking at the team. Um, I guess various different degrees of investment. So they have not decided at this point if this is going to be another divestiture of some portion of the Williams organization, 
which I, I'm, I'm troubled by this idea. I, I think already the, this idea that they got rid of Williams Advanced Engineering was really, I mean, that was making money. It was successful. It's doing well. I don't think divesting it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be some other parts of the organization that they would consi- con- consider divesting um, or some selling some additional minority stakes in the team because the, the Williams family is, is, I guess, somewhat insistent that they have to. But there's also the possibility of an outright sale of the entire organization. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the folks who's considered to be, or, or who is believed to be considered a potential candidate in purchasing some stake, we don't know how big, is Nick Latifi's father, Michael. <laughs> Because that's what we need. We need more dads buying their kids' seats on Formula One. Well, just like with Lawrence, uh, Mike Latifi has provided the team already with a significant amount of financial backing. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the big difference is that where Lawrence wanted to buy deeper into the organization and Williams told him no, it sounds like now if Mike Latifi wanted to, he might not get turned away. Now, some of it may be because um, Lawrence and what he wanted to do strategy-wise in the way he was talking was, was something that Williams wasn't comfortable with. I don't know. Because, you know, he was talking about turning the team into baby, basically the junior Mercedes team. Right. And that didn't sit well with Lawrence. That's against their DNA. Yeah, so I, I don't know. So... Roman Grosjean. So we heard, um, and, and unfortunately we did not get to watch qualifying. <laughs> because for some reason our DVR didn't record it. I don't know if anybody else's did, but ours did not. Um, so I don't even know if it went off on time. We know it was wet. We know Lewis Hamilton had one hell of a wet lap. We've not seen it. No, no, we saw it. We oh. saw it in the YouTube highlights. Okay. Because that was about all we got was the six minutes highlights of all three sessions. So I don't know what happened that Xfinity decided that we're not allowed to watch qualifying, but we didn't see it. Not that you're bitter or anything. Well, I would like to know what happened that caused the um, that caused Roman Grosjean and Haas to decide that they needed to break Park Ferme rules. Oh, yeah. So we know there was some sort of an ERS water pump failure on his outlap in Q1, and he didn't set a time. But as a result of the work to deal with this, um, they went beyond the three-hour, 30-minute timeline by which F1 cars need to be put into Park Ferme, and in the end, they finished up at at just shy of 11.30 in the evening, which is more than three hours after that cutoff time. Okay. The other piece of that, and, and again, I don't know what they were thinking here, the work was not conducted under the supervision of a scrutineer, which is a breach of the rules. Oh. Because remember, when a part breaks going into a, a part from a condition, teams are allowed to do a like-for-like like replacement. My understanding is part of the reason, part of the way they validate that it's like-for-like like is that work is done w- with a scrutineer watching. They didn't do that. Interesting. So I, I could. Do you think that their excuse might have been COVID 
and that that would have added a body in the garage and that's not in that bubble and it's an external bubble person and that's a risk and all of that okay but even if you had turned around and you had said okay before we put the the, the pump in the car we're going to put it on this cart and we're going to take the old pump we're going to put it on the cart and we're going to roll it outside the garage and go scrutineer look this is the old part this is the new part Watch us go put it in. You can stand off to the side here outside of the garage and you can see that that's what we put in the car. I mean... I'm just... I'm, I'm trying to throw out thoughts here. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it was. And we didn't get enough information from anybody as to why um, the, the stewards decided not to exclude him from the event because that's the penalty for this. Okay. They let him start from the pit lane instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. No. It has, I don't, I cannot recall an event, a race in the time that we've been watching where somebody has broken park. I mean, they've broken park for me before. True. And started from the pit lane. I have yet to hear one that somebody was not allowed to race. Yeah. The only race that the person was not allowed to race in the time that we've been watching was Roman Grosjean, who was excluded because he was a first lap menace. Well, yeah, there was that for the spot crash. Yeah. I don't know. So speaking of first first lap nutters, yes. is what you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Ferrari and both cars on the first lap of the race. So because last week wasn't bad enough where they were, and, and this is what amazes me, not only were they way off the pace, but apparently... Their lap times in qualifying last week at the first race of the season was off from their from last year in Austria by a second a lap. I really wonder what was wrong with their engine. I mean, cl- clearly, clearly that that is a good chunk of the problem. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at where all of the Ferrari powered cars are ending up, and clearly, the engine is an issue. But the fact that whatever they have done, because it's not just the engine, there's more going on here. And, and um, you know, BBC was talking about it. They really designed that car. They, they've always known that it was slow in the corners, mm-hmm. but it was the straight line speed was just fantastic. Right. You know, borderline and, warp speed kind of straight and line. And they speed. made up for the corners and the straights. Mm hmm. Now that they've had to do whatever the engine change was that we will never find out because Ferrari won't let us find out, possibly burning oil, because I guess it does actually have an impact. But the word is, since there was no major changes, no development changes, that this was a car that was designed for the strength of last last year's engines. Mm. And now that they don't have the power in the engines... They put more downforce on the car. And that was one of the things that they had talked about last year was they were trying to get more downforce on the car so that it would be faster in the corners. And so they put more downforce on the car with the slower engine on top of it. And they've just slowed it down everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, they, in my highly technical review of the Ferrari engine, I will say they got it wrong. They did. You know, I'm I'm at a point now because I think we have, and, and yes, I know we're only two races into the season, but this is probably the worst start we've seen from Ferrari. Sure. Even 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 taking in taking out the fact that 
there was the first lap incident that took both of them out for no good reason. I, I, I'm really getting to, I, I think, what, six years now, seven years now, we've said Ferrari's been one of the biggest disappointments of the season. Yeah. It's a broken record at this point. And, and to say it now, we're two races in it. And already, Ferrari is one of the biggest disappointments of the season. <laughs> the problem is the circle I can't square is Ferrari is consistently a disappointment, and yet they have a single veto in the, the agreements. They are the, the team that they cannot race without. They are singularly always a disappointment, and yet, hey, you know, you know that that's actually you know you bring something up there. So Martin Brundle made a comment in today's um, today's coverage after the wreck of you know we we talk about how important Ferrari is to Formula One, mm-hmm. and it, this race is a good way to see how important Ferrari truly is to Formula One. And I would argue after this race. Maybe they're not as important as you think. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, it took a couple of replays for me to finally, like... It was confusing. It was really... And, and angles didn't help. Figure out. And it actually took watching it from somebody that was behind them yeah. to really get it because the cameras didn't catch it. You don't even have fans to distract you. Can you not keep the camera on the cars? This is not hard. Um, but I don't think I have ever seen a car continue to drive forward without its rear wing. Yeah, that was a new one. Of all the things that have broken off of cars. We see front wings all the time. I haven't seen the complete loss of the rear wing like this before. No, no. I, I mean, we've seen lost rear wings, but it's normally like when they crash entirely into a wall. Or yeah. they do a loop-de-loop in the air, barrel roll, slide across the grass in Australia. Yeah, okay, there's no wing. But there's also no car. Yeah. Vettel had no wing. <clears throat> like, they panned over to him, and it's like, wait, wait a minute. Something's wrong. It's mi- it's missing a wing. The, the, the whole back end of the car is gone. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had to listen to five minutes of... Uh, the Sky Sports team explaining how much harder a rear, rear wing is to put on than a front wing. And that's fair. It's fair. I understand. I get the concept. But I was like, uh, yeah, I got it. You have movable <laughs> parts in the rear wing. It's not It's not plug and play back there. <laughs> so Charles Leclerc, he's taking blame for this. He really did. And, and, you know, to some extent, I, I guess I, I, I can see that. It is this idea of he stuck his nose in on the inside. And he, he should have, given his vantage point, he should have seen if that was going to be three cars going into that turn. And maybe being a touch more cautious and staying out of it. Especially since he had to know, and, and yes, I know it was a split-second decision, but he had to know that he was not going to get through that turn before all three cars were in that turn at the same time. True. You know, if, if he was going to be able to, to lurch ahead of Seb and, and, and just nick through in time, I could see it. But he had to know that that was going to narrow down like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'll give Seb credit for the fact that he didn't get 
slammed into and there was the lunge there but still he turned into him yeah no. it wasn't good either. Mattia Bonotto says that it is not the time to place blame for the crash I hear both of you are on the naughty step both of them are on the naughty step they're right that you know this is not and 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 I I, I don't know if you heard the, the comments about that this was not the the what Ferrari needed right now. They, mm. they needed to know what was going to happen with these cars because one of the things that Ferrari did this week was because the performance was so bad last week, The we, we heard so much last week about that they were bringing an upgrade package to Hungary. Mm-hmm. They actually moved that up and they brought that to Austria. Oh, and nobody got to see it. Right. So that was going to be one of the questions was... Did this package have any impact whatsoever? And from their first look in testing, the feedback was good. Or not in testing, in practice, the feedback was good. But they needed to see race trim and they needed to collect that data. And boom, that's now all out the window. And they didn't even get a full lap. So there's no data to, I mean, there's zero data to collect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good job, guys. Good job. Yeah. But, you know. So... And, and it was a good race. A lot less eventful than, than last week. But I think it was a good race with, again, the last five laps being shockingly action-packed. I have to say, I, I, I don't love this track. I really don't. No. Um, but I do like the fact that there's a lot of potential for some late race action. Yeah, and, and very good late late race action the other thing and and i am very hopeful of this what we have seen is even sharper battles in the midfield Mm -hmm. a lot more battles in the midfield than i think that we've seen in the past now it i think some of it is actually the fact that since the producers can't go and pan to the fans and can't pan to random celebrity that nobody cares about in the garage (laughs) they're paying more attention to what's going on on the track but we're certainly seeing a lot more of those battles and we're hearing a lot more about the strategies going on in the mid-pack. And that's been really nice. I think that part's been kind of cool. <clears throat> it's The fans are awesome and it's really cool to see them there. But the fact that the producers are no longer distracted by that, it means that all the, and the commentators are no longer distracted by anything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. They all get to focus, and they need stuff to talk about. So they dig deep. We're getting narrower but deeper information. Now, the the one area that I I, I do think that we're missing out on, um, and and I understand why they're doing it again for the bubbles and all of that, but I do think we are missing out on having um, the reporters who are able to roam the pit lane mm-hmm. during the race. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's just so much that Ted Kravitz can do with his pirate spyglass. Okay, but Ted Kravitz <laughs> and his pirate spyglass. Did you also hear? Okay, his pirate spyglass is one thing that's hysterical to me. But the other thing that um, I heard today was: Did you catch that they were they claimed their own stands? I I heard something. So about one that. of them was like, "So Ted Kravitz, how is it in the Ted Kravitz stand?" <laughs> <laughs> they had like literally one reporter to the stand. 
Now, you know, I'm going to throw this out for anybody from Sky who is listening in that off chance. They are. They've run under us. Back in, what was it? The 2000, was it the 2000 election or the 2004 election? Tim Russert and his whiteboard Mm -hmm. that they then went and auctioned off for charity. That was the... That that was Tim Russert tracking the Electoral College results on a whiteboard live on the air. It's a handheld whiteboard that he was doing the calculations. That was the 2000 election. the 2000 that that happened? Because it was was Gore Bush. Mm. So that whiteboard, whiteboard, they then went and auctioned off to charity. and, And it made great money. And all of the things that F1 is going and, uh, and auctioning off to raise money for charity. Sky Sports at the end of this season, Ted Kravitz Pirate Spyglass needs to be auctioned off for charity. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, no. And the thing was, the next election, so going down the election thing, he used the whiteboard for the Electoral College that first time, the mm-hmm. 2000 election, when it happened in 2004. Gave he, him a better one. They gave him a better one, but yeah. they, he still did it all on a whiteboard because yeah. that's what he got used to doing. So, some coronavirus-related stuff. So, footage started making the rounds last week, and it was an edited video clip that showed up on social media that appeared to show Lando Norris... And his trainer arriving at the track, appear, supposedly on Saturday, um, and being stopped after the temperature sensor gave a high reading. Mm-hmm. And that the pair then appeared to cool their their foreheads with water bottles before taking the test again and entering the circuit. Which would appear to be that they were cheating the COVID protocols. Okay. Kind of nasty. However, McLaren has clarified that the edited video did not reveal what actually happened. And they emphasized how seriously they're taking the protocols. So according to McLaren, first of all, the incident occurred on Thursday, not on Saturday, (laughs) as the clip seemed to to indicate. The other thing that that they said was that preceding the temperature check, Norris and his trainer had been standing in in the sun and, and talking for about 10 minutes before walking to the entrance. So when they walked to the entrance and the temperature was taken, the surface temperature of their forehead indicated a reading of 50 degrees Celsius for both of them. Okay, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Well, the big thing here is that normal body temperature is 37 degrees Celsius. Okay, so 20 degrees higher in Celsius seems not a fever, but something bigger. Death normally occurs above 44 degrees Celsius. Oh, okay. So there's problem number one. So it was clear that the surface forehead temperature was not accurate <laughs> so norris's train lando's trainer um discussed with the track official what was going on he specifically asked that uh, they take a, either a temp uh, temple or an inner ear check for a more accurate reading and it, to explain this while they're having this conversation he explained how the forehead temperature can vary so much so he started rolling a cold water bottle on it to further explain the situation so then the operator took a temperature after the bottle had been there where it registered as 30 degrees Celsius. <laughs> That's below the temperature that would be regarded as a body emergency. <laughs> okay. So in the end, they, they took the temperature check both from the temple and both were in normal range. So they were not gaming the system. 
this is not cheating. Okay. But take it in the wrong spot. Weird things happen and either you're dead or you're frozen. <laughs> and obviously he was neither standing there talking to There them. you go. And, and that was kind of the point. Now, so we talked last week about how Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel got a warning for breaking COVID uh, protocols. Mm -hmm. Now both drivers have gotten warnings. So, and, and I, sh I should mention there were two warnings that were handed out this week. Um, one to Mercedes and to Valtteri Bottas and the other to Ferrari and Charles Leclerc. Okay. So both Charles Leclerc and Valtteri Bottas, and I, a lot of people apparently didn't know that you could actually do this. Apparently the two of them decided to fly home to Monaco between the races this week. Oh my. So Valtteri went home and he apparently hung out with his, his new girlfriend and his physio. Um, I thought he had a wife. No, they got divorced last year, remember? Oh. I forgot. Yeah. I'm shocked. But anyway. Um, <laughs> um, he put pictures on Instagram of him biking, I think, with his physio, who's part of his social bubble. Um, the FIA decided not to take any action around this because he didn't break his social bubble, but did warn him that, yeah, this, this was not smart. You, you really should not have done that. Charles Leclerc, on the other hand. So the reason why everyone found out that Charles had returned to Monaco was because apparently he was caught by paparazzi hanging out with his friends in a nightclub. That's not a social... Well, how big is his social bubble? <laughs> apparently the size of the nightclub and everybody in it. <laughs> it's Which okay. would be a violation it's okay. This is my bubble. Yeah. You, you can't count everybody in Monaco as your social bubble, which is part of the clarification that, that went to Ferrari and to Charles Leclerc. Your social bubble does not include all of the people in Monaco. But he says, but I'm a Monagas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Mattia Bonotto says both of his drivers now understand that they did something wrong. And, oh, you think? And then they crashed into each other in the race. So they are, they're not just sitting on the naughty step. They're strapped to the naughty step. Once again, Mattia Bonotto displays his powers of Captain Obviousness. <laughs> oh, you think? Oh, they know they did something wrong. Gee, wow. I'm pretty sure they will pay more attention in the future. So. So here's the thing. <clears throat> This is, this is something I seriously struggle with. Okay. They have to have their social bubbles. Mm -hmm. Their team-based social bubble, F1 mm -hmm. inherent social bubble, all of that. No, I mean, they can't even talk to the reporters like face-to-face. -face. I mean, it's, yeah. everything is, is distance and all, of, it's so careful, so careful. And I know because Lewis Hamilton has been incredibly open about his, uh, focus on health and making sure that he stays a stays healthy, mm -hmm. but b that he's watching and making sure that you know all the things are being done. But he's also, I mean, every other year when we didn't have a global pandemic, 
if this was a situation where he had back-to-back races, he would have rushed home and gone clubbing and mm-hmm. hang, hung out with his buds. Go do a fashion, a uh, fashion. release at, in, in Shanghai. Yeah, I mean, all And everybody stuff. would say, oh, well, that's Lewis being <clears throat> Lewis, and that's what helps Lewis be a better driver, and yada, yada, woof, woof. But then I just kind of want to go, hey, guys, if Lewis can maintain his social bubble, you guys can do this. It's not that hard. Well, you know, th- there's more to it than that, though. And, and, and Jack Nichols and, and Jolian Palmer over at the BBC really took, even Valtteri, they were pissed off over this. And, and the, adi- the, the flagrant and casual attitude that the two of them took in doing this. Because, as, and especially for Valtteri, who is in a title fight. Mm-hmm. And in, in a, a situation where the season is of unknown length and every single point counts, that by going home to Monaco, even staying in his social bubble, and, and uh, Jack Nichols' point was, you know, the only reason why we knew that, that Charles Leclerc was there was because a paparazzi saw him in a nightclub. We don't know for sure whether or not Valtteri Bottas stayed within his social bubble. We only know that, that he went back to Monaco and the claim that he just hung out with girlfriend and with, with trainer. For all we know, they could have gone out to eat and been hanging out in the clubs that just didn't get caught by a paparazzi, didn't show up on social media. We don't know that. Mm. But because every single point counts and the risk that they've taken by breaking that bubble, if they test positive, it is guaranteed that they're going to miss a race and probably more likely two or more races which means it destroys their entire season at that point. But what does it do to their teams? Well, there's that too. It's the impact. And yes, the teams have reserve drivers that can come in, but in terms of their personal championship, it completely destroys it. And then you look at if they actually get sick and you hear some of these long-term effects that happen, it's likely that it could be career-ending for them. I hope that was a great trip. The level of stupidity that the two of them showed. I mean, the, Jolian Palmer and Jack Nichols absolutely lost it. They mm-hmm. were livid. At, at the, and, and Jolian admitted that, you know, Styria, and, and it's part of the reason why they're there, is that there's not a lot to do there. I mean, your options between the weekends are you're going to go for a run or you're going up in the mountains or a hike up in the mountains or you're going to bike the track or bike some of the trails and watch TV. I mean, there, there's not a lot for them, which is why they're there in the first place. Yeah. But you're not there for that long. Suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, this was just... So the stakes actually are going up for next week. So we head next weekend, we go to Hungary in a race at the Hungaro Ring. You know, the, the the Hunger Games race. So we head to I thought the, that was 2020. Well, yeah, see, there you go. See also, murder hornets. <laughs> so the Hungarian government has warned Formula One and the drivers that for those who are from both the UK and non-EU countries, which, by the way, thanks to Brexit, UK is a non-EU country, um, that they have strict restrictions and quarantine requirements of what they can do and what they cannot do. So what the there was a letter that was sent to the teams 
that says that attendees of UK or other non-EU or EEA nationality should not leave the venue or their accommodation for any reason other than for travel between the two locations and for their prearranged arrival and departure to and from Hungary. Attendees of UK or other non-EU or EEA nationality may not use public transport and taxis. Any meal should be taken at either the venue or the accommodation, and any free time should be spent within the boundaries of the accommodation. Failure to adhere to these additional restrictions may be punishable by the Hungarian authorities and may result in imprisonment and or fines of up to approximately 15,000 euros. Whoa. And with seven of the current teams based in Britain, that means the restrictions will likely cover a majority of the 2,000 people present at the race. Whoa. Yeah. Now, these restrictions, while they're only enforced for UK and non-EU citizens, it has been recommended that all personnel follow them. And, you know, I should add, while, yes, seven of the teams are based in Britain, this actually impacts eight teams. Because Sauber Alfa Romeo is in in Hinwil, Switzerland, which is not an EU country. Right. Yes, some of the folks may come from, um, I think it's Turin or Bologna, where Alpha is. But the Sauber side of the house is still in Switzerland. Right. I mean, the truth of the matter is, it essentially, I mean, okay, yeah, there are people that are in the EU and EU nationalities, but essentially it's, it's almost everyone that's going to be on the grid. Yeah, so the, advi- the advisory that the teams were given was that in order to clearly demonstrate the willingness of all stakeholders and attendees to respect the measures which the Hungarian government has established for the running of the Hungarian event and to avoid any possible confusion within the local community, it is highly recommended that all attendees adhere to the restrictions. In other words, don't ruin it for the rest of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and on that note. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.